The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909. 741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome back to The Influencers Edge. And today we have a very special guest, Andy Olin. I was giving him a little heads up. I don't know if you want to call it caveat or warning that this is not your typical podcast interview. It's more uh, back and forth, give and take. So I always like to just put, you guys can't see this, put the biography on here very quickly. I like to race through the biography, Andy, so we can get down to the meat of this. So Andy Olin is a sales and leadership trainer, along with a high performance coach. I'm going to pause you right there. How do you define leadership? What is leadership to you? Yeah, you know, the first word that comes to mind is courage. That a leader has to have courage. Uh, If you have courage and you are willing to step out into the front and share that courage with others, I believe that motivates those around you. People will follow, they'll listen, and together you can do amazing things. Do you think leaders... A lot of people would say that leaders are born. You're either uh, alpha male, as they call it, or you're not. Do you think leaders, leadership can be developed, obviously, because you coach it, but do you think some people just have a natural head start on others? I, I don't think so. I think uh, you got to choose to be a leader. So there's a choice that comes along at some point in your life that says, I don't mind the spotlight. I don't mind making the final call. I don't mind dis- displaying or deploying my courage to help move the group forward. So I think uh, at some point that's a choice. And I think anyone at any time can make that choice to be a leader. Okay, then we will keep going. Uh, Andy learned sales leadership and negotiation while a senior executive in the medical technology industry. We're not going to dive into what technology, but thank you for whatever you're doing or we're doing. Today, Andy runs his own training business, shares his thoughts on his podcast. Ooh, I want to be on that one. The yeah. Sales Warrior Within, and That's attends right. as many Milwaukee Bucks games <laughs> as possible. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. I got my Giannis Adentacumbo uh, bobblehead right there to my lower right. Uh, and uh, yeah, we are very lucky to have him. There's a good example, by the way, Paul, of a leader who I would say is a quiet leader, who is one that is very focused on winning. He is always about supporting his teammates. He right. wants to create in Milwaukee a winning culture, and he 
displays a loyalty, a loyalty to the city, a loyalty to those who have given to him, and he wants to reciprocate that as well. So it's a different style of leader. Sometimes we don't think of the big sports athletes who have a lot of charisma and a lot of swagger. Uh, that is definitely a leadership characteristic or potentially one, uh, but Giannis is a great example of uh, one of the, one, arguably one of the world's best basketball players uh, who demonstrates leadership in a very humble and quiet way. It's very interesting that you brought up two words that you did previously, which are loyalty and reciprocity. And most people don't think of that. The, they would think of leadership as being someone who inspires loyalty in his followers. But the idea that leaders are also loyal and create reciprocity. Can you talk a little bit? And I know this is not what you no, essentially the meat of what you want to dive into, but for me, it's fascinating because our, our audience are salespeople and entrepreneurs and business owners. And mm -hmm. I think you have to have leadership. So, what I've never heard uh, loyalty as something a leader has to have. Well, as you said, Paul, I think they can certainly engender loyalty. So those that follow that leader, look up to that leader, become loyal to that leader. And I think that has its own set of topics we could certainly talk about in terms of how then the leader manages those individuals, motivates them, and doesn't uh, is careful with his or her words so they're not destroyed if the leader is ever disappointed in them. And I think that's a whole nother conversation. But I also believe that a leader is loyal to the cause that he or she has set forward. And uh, for a business owner, it's representing your brand and how, and do you, what, what is the saying? Do you talk the walk? Do you walk the talk rather? It's the other way around. So do you do what you say you're going to do? And there's a loyalty aspect to the brand, to the business that you're building, to the effort that you put in. And when people see that you're loyal to what you're working on and creating, right. then that engenders that loyalty in return. And that's sort of reciprocity right there is that reciprocity is uh, when I give you a gift, Paul, you'll have the desire to reciprocate or give back a gift to me. I do a favor for you. You do one back for me. And I think there's a almost a social contract that's built between uh, leaders and those that choose to look up to leaders. It says, you know what? I'm I as a leader, I'm there for you. I'm going to create a secure and safe environment for you to flourish in. And all I ask you for is in return is to give your best effort. And so I think that's where the reciprocity is there. And I think the keen and savvy uh, and open leaders uh, really understand both loyalty, how, how they create that loyalty for what they represent, uh, their company, their brand, their organization, and how they also build reciprocity within their management and leadership style. Now to dive in, and I like to get personal and juicy here. Did you have a model growing up of someone who was a leader that you just learned through osmosis? Or is this something a learned skill that you took on or both? Who is your inspiration for leadership? Yeah, I, you know, when you the, the answer to the first question is, did I have a role model? Uh, I would actually say Frankenstein. Now it's not the monster in the movies, but it is the compilation of many of the great attributes of just people I look up to, sort of all of those things cobbled together. One of my old business mentors, when I first got into medical devices, uh, reminded me, is like, you know, do, do the things that you like or that you see me doing that work well for you, but the things that I don't do well, don't do those. Create your own way, create your own image, your own brand, your own uh, ideas, uh, and but take and borrow from me what really works well for you. And so I think the Frankenstein model is 
uh, I've cobbled together all these great different examples from so many different really business leaders, mentors, but it, you don't have to look up vertically in an organization to find mentorship. You can you can see that your cross-functional partners, your colleagues, your peers can provide a ton of leadership. And also you can be inspired by those who do amazing things working for you. And so I think my Frankenstein model is really the collection of the greatest hits, if you will, of, of all the really talented people I've had a chance to work this with. It's very interesting because what you're saying in essence is a leader can't be so myopic on and focused on their own vision that they can't look at their team and say, oh, wait, this person is inspiring me. Uh, I, I get it. This is very interesting view of leadership that's non, what, what word would I use? It's non-dictatorial. It's non-authoritarian. Yeah, I don't do well with those kind of leaders. I have found that out about me is that I, the reason I'm an entrepreneur today is because I realized uh, that uh, you are going to work with many of those types, um, the the authoritarian, the the dictator, the micromanager. And I think what's great about technology, about um, call it American capitalism, uh, you have the freedom to make your own choice to be your own boss. And and after 20 years in corporate America, that was the choice I made. I, I work for so many great leaders. Uh, the other side of the coin is there too for many people is that you may work for people that really don't don't create happiness in your life. And the good news is you have a choice and you can either leave, go somewhere else, or you can do something on your own as well. Was that a difficult transition going from working from corporate where you have a structure that's set out for you? And then I, I know a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners and myself included, I don't like the word struggle, but struggle have a challenge with structure because they don't come necessarily from the corporate world. Did you find that a transition that was easy? I found it to be scary and at, at the beginning. And as I was thinking about it, one of the things though, what I could offer your listeners and viewers as an, a piece of advice, if you're thinking about making that transition, what I did was I was at my daughter, Audrey's swim meet. It was January. It was cold in Wisconsin many years ago, 2019. And there's a lot of time as a swim dad, there's a lot of time in between the races that you got to sit there and watch. So I would always bring my computer with me. And I had had it with uh, being in corporate roles for uh, probably enough enough uh, content for another discussion we could have. And what I did was I sat down and I chose to write an offer letter to myself. So it was from me to me. And I was projecting forward saying, Andy, I offer you the job of president of North Hall Partners, my current company, and here's the mandate. Here's what you're going to do. Here's the credo that we're going to follow. Here's how you're going to give back to the community through volunteer work, a community that's given so much to you, not only in Wisconsin, but around the world. And it was basically, I was writing out a commitment to myself. I still have it hanging over here in my office and I share my offer letter to myself very frequently and setting that forward and adhering to that has made the transition, uh, at least in the early stages, so much better. And it's now a lot of pride to be able to fulfill the things that I, I committed to myself sitting there on that cold January day uh, in a overly chlorinated uh, natatorium at Shorewood High School. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This, I love the smell of chlorine. Smells like victory. <laughs> <laughs> it All smells right. like something. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about learning how to overcome the dark side of yes. negotiations by trading value for value with yes, if. First of all, the dark side. Let's <laughs> talk about the dark side because so many of my viewers and listeners 
like to have that edge. That's why it's called the influencer's yeah. edge. So one person's dark side would be another person's just advantage because they have more skin, skill. That's so right. What do you mean by the dark side? Yeah. So the dark side is all of the fear, anxiety that we feel when we go unprepared or underskilled into a negotiation. And maybe I can represent it best by story, a personal story here. So about 15 years ago, it was early in my medical device uh, sales career, and I never had a college class on negotiations. I never had a high school class on how to negotiate. Now, this is a life skill that we use throughout our personal lives and our professional lives, yet it's it's never really formally trained uh, as we're growing up. We just learn through experience. And I was very confident as this very young uh, sales leader, and I had a really big, important customer in Alberta, Canada, so Western province in Canada, and I flew out there, and it was a big multi-million dollar negotiation. I was very uh, confident, uh, edging on probably arrogant, and when I landed <laughs> in Edmonton, again, a very cold day, I was heading out to uh, the negotiation, and I went by myself, but as I got closer and closer, I could feel the nerves, the my hands got sweaty, I was getting anxious, and I sat in this very sterile room, and the lead negotiator came in, his name was Patrick, sat down, the first thing he did was he took my company, I was working at Abbott Laboratories at the time, he took our annual report from the year prior, threw it across the table, and said, your gross margins are so so high, you have more price concessions and you can go lower on price with us. I want a 10% discount now. He used conflict, chaos, and crisis. And he shot my anxiety, my fear through the roof. And what did I find myself doing? I acquiesced. I said yes, thinking by pleasing him, acquiescing, giving in without protest, that he would then say, yes to me, or he'd like me more, or be more favorable towards my position. But what happened was, Paul, when I said yes that first time, the trained negotiator that he was just asked for more and more and more because right. I never said no. I never put any protest right. up there. I lost probably half a million dollars that oh, day God. in value off a of multi-million dollars. I bet you remember that lesson. <laughs> I do. And I remember thinking as I was uh, walking with my tail between my legs back to the Edmonton airport, this is going to be a very short sales leadership career if this is how I negotiate. And so I got, I had four or five hours of flight time back. I was living in Toronto at the time. And I said, I got to do this differently. And what I really thought about was how do I overcome this dark side, this conflict, chaos, crisis negotiation? Uh, this win or lose, this negative judgment that was thrown at me, the the competitiveness of negotiations, all these things we don't like about negotiating. And what I realized was I still want to say yes to my customers. I want them to hear the word yes if they also will trade something back to me of value, just like I traded baseball cards when I was a kid with all my friends. Yes, I can give you that Robin Yount rookie card if you give me that Tony Gwynn, uh, you know, all-time best baseball hitter card in return. We traded baseball cards using yes, if. Yes, I can do that if you do that in return for me. I actually had a chance to go back to Alberta, sit down with Patrick, renegotiate using yes, if. Felt more confident, traded back and forth. And we ended up creating a, what now is, it's a deal that's actually still going on, about a 15-year deal uh, worth many, many millions more than we ever thought. It was because the negotiation skills and that that saw got sharpened real fast. Wow. Conflict, chaos, and crisis. Crisis. Mm -hmm. Talk about the chaos. So the chaos bit is basically he threw you for such a loop. You can't, you couldn't, your brain was 
chaotic right. and your ability to organize thoughts. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and it's a good tactic. It's not a bad tactic to use. If you are in the situation that I just went through, if you're Patrick, that was his plan. He knew he had been trained in the dark arts of negotiating that if I use conflict, if I create a competitive moment with the salesperson, they're going to give in. And that's exactly what I did. And I realized not only did I do that, I have now managed over the course of the my medical career and work with a countless number of Fortune 500 sales teams now, people acquiesce, they give in, they give in to the dark side because they want to get the deal done and they lose tremendous amount of revenue and profitability in doing so. And all they have to do, the simple changes, if you say yes, you can still say that, you can do the acquiescence part of yes, if you also ask for something in return. And that's the idea of trading value for value back and forth. So, so let's break that out. It's one thing to say it. How would people actually do it? I, I want to interject one idea mm -hmm. is you have to be able to handle that initial shock that people are thrown at you. You can have the technique. I'm sure your technique work so you wouldn't be as successful as you are we wouldn't have you on the show but part of this is maintaining your state when you're temporarily shocked and thrown off so how do you do that if you're temporarily shocked and not expecting it how do you get back into that neutral state where you can think clearly enough to offer up the yes if absolutely so i gave you three words that start with the letter c conflict chaos and crisis that's what a skilled negotiating opponent will bring your way to try to tip the scales for him or her. First off, knowing that they're going to do that already puts your mind at ease. And now I can prepare for it. The, the, the fourth C that I'd add to this conversation, the counterbalance to crisis, conflict, and chaos is cooperation. That's what the yes, if approach really is anchored in. It's anchored in cooperation. And there are three things that you need to do in order to get there. The first thing is I, I never met Patrick, my negotiating colleague uh, from Alberta. I never met him in person before. Maybe had a 10-minute conversation with him. Trust had not been established between us yet. In order to cooperatively trade back and forth, yes, I can do this, Paul, if you can do this in return for me, trust has to be established. And so that's step number one. I would have spent more time getting to know Patrick uh, and building some sort of rapport with him so we could try to find that cooperative middle ground right away. The second thing is preparation. I spend now for every negotiation, I, I teach teams this, you want to be at least two or three to one in terms of your time ratio of preparation to actually executing a negotiation. Knowing that customers are going to use the dark arts and go to the dark side of negotiations because it works for them. That's how they're trained at Customer Negotiation University. Knowing that's coming, <laughs> you are already prepared. So if I had yes, if in that first meeting with Patrick, when he threw the annual report at me and said, you have more price to give, say, you know what, Patrick, I'm happy to work with you on price if you're also able to do, instead of a five-year contract, we can put a 10-year on the table. That's how I, and all of a sudden I'm calm, I'm cool, collective. There's another three, uh, three words that start with C as well. So it's really trust, building that trust if you can, being uber prepared, and then knowing how to execute in a very nimble way. I love negotiating because every time I step into it, I feel confident that if I get my uh, trading partner or my negotiating partner into a, a cooperative state with me, we're going to do good things together and we're both going to succeed. Very interesting perspective. 
And I like what you said about getting more rapport. So let's dive into that. There's so yeah. many different, I'm trained in neurolinguistic programming. I've been doing it for 33 years. Frankly, I think uh, a big chunk of NLP is bullshit. <laughs> we don't mince <laughs> words here on the influencer set. I think a lot of it is real. So what are, can you name your favorite technique or techniques for getting that rapport? I don't mean like talking about, oh, really, you like uh, the Bucks. I like the Bucks too. It's got to be <laughs> right. more sophisticated than that. And what well, if they don't like the Bucks? You know, I, I, I've worked with, I'm a salesperson myself. I worked with countless number of salespeople. And what I find that works with salespeople, I think probably all human beings, is that if I can share with them simple actions that they can take. The simple is what you can form new habits around. If it's really hard, your brain is going to say, you know what, that's too hard. I'm going to go take the easy road over here. So simple things and little things as well. So linguistically, I'm very focused on the, in terms of rapport, four seconds, that's all it takes to build a, a, a durable and lasting first impression with a customer. Four seconds, that's it. And that's what the, the data says, the science says. And so I'm some, somewhat scripted as much, and authentic in, and I know you can do both of these things, in my first couple lines. Hey, Paul, how you doing? It's great to meet you. My name's Andy. How's it going today? That's four seconds right there. And my body language is positive. I use your name. I'm upbeat. I'm energized. That's my authentic, genuine self. And I also want to make sure that we get off to a really, really good start. So I work with teams on, in terms of rapport and trust, let's manage those first four seconds thoughtfully. Then let's get into a thoughtful deployment of pronouns. Pronouns, you, I, me, we. And the pronoun I encourage people to use at the start of a relationship to get things going is you. Get the customer talking. How are you? What are your objectives today? What are your goals? Get them talking, some probing questions. You can transition to me later on or I. I have a proposal I'd like to share. And then once the deal is done and, and you've had success with one another, we. Paul, how do we figure out this new challenge together? How do we take our opportunity to the next level? Whatever those words are, but there's a progression through pronouns that is simple to do, just takes a little bit of purposefulness for a salesperson or a business leader or a business owner. But those small things can really make a difference in setting up the long-term cooperation that's needed for a yes-if negotiation. That makes sense. <laughs> it's simple and it makes sense. Let, let's progress onward here because you have so much to offer. I, I want to make sure I don't miss anything. How, okay. How did you discover? Yes. If what was yeah. you, I always like, I always, first of all, how long have you been doing this? Andy? I've been using yes. If role modeling it for, and, and teaching it one way or another for the last 15 years. All right. Everyone likes to ask, how did you get started? Eh, I asked you that, but here's a more interesting question to me. You're obviously passionate about it mm -hmm. for 15 years. That's a long time to be passionate about something. So how have you stayed passionate about this for 15 years? I want to know. Well, it goes back to, I'm, I'm loyal to it, right? We talked about loyalty earlier. So I'm loyal to it. And the reason I'm loyal to it and I'm passionate about it is because I see people using it and it works. And what's really exciting for me as well, Paul, is that this is not just a business negotiation skill set. This is a life skill. 
this is the skill I, I raise my now teenage kids on. They yes if with me. My daughter said to me uh, not too long ago, dad, I have a, a, a preposition for you. And I, I started laughing. I said, oh, a preposition. Don't you mean proposition? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I want to negotiate. And would you do this if I do that? And it's a way for the both parties to get where they want to get together. If you think about yes, if, and cooperation, this is a way to negotiate, overcoming the dark side of negotiations, the fear of the conflict, the crisis, the competitiveness with cooperation. So both parties actually step away from or conclude the negotiation feeling successful. It's a wonderful thing to do as a parent. It's a wonderful thing to do as a business owner. Obviously, my wife and I use it as we're talking about where we spend our holidays with her family in Canada, my family in the United States or both. And so it's my passion for it continues to grow for two reasons. One, because I see it working. And, and when I get that feedback from others that it is working for them and how they closed a deal in Hong Kong or they sold a, a multi-million dollar lab diagnostic system in the United States, that's exciting. It's also exciting to keep exploring the human behavior behind negotiations. And there's so much there in the cognitive and the conscious that uh, that is really interesting out there. And, and we all need help with it, myself included. I'm always striving to get better with it. It's funny. <laughs> when it comes to negotiating, I found with if I get into a dispute, a debate, an argument with a significant other, someone I'm having a loving relationship with, the thing that works is, I'm sorry, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> someone told me they've been happily married for 30 years. And I said, what's your secret? He said, if there's ever an argument, five words, I'm sorry, you are right. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of cooperating, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, Sometimes we need, and and you like the the word choices and the language behind this stuff, and and sometimes we need to check our ego a little bit, step back, and say, look, I'm here to help us both move forward in this discussion, in this dispute that we're having, where we have to solve the problem together. Let's figure out how to do that. And so you can take yes if and actually make it a verb. Hey, let's yes if the situation out. My wife and I did that the other day, uh, just over something simple over dinner. It's like, she wanted this, I wanted that. It's like, hey, can we yes if this out? And we we found a way to do it. We'll have this today. That's that very tomorrow. clever. Yeah. I like it. Turn it into a verb. Not a, uh, That's really, really clever. I really like that. Let me really jump in and get and butt heads here because this is my <laughs> style of doing things. I remember reading this book when I was a teenager and maybe I was 17, maybe 18. There's a book that you would find horrible. You would find it like picking up a piece of, uh, I'm not going to get into what it would be. It's called Winning Through Intimidation. Have you heard of this book? No, but I get a, I get a sense. By, by Robert J. Ringer. And he talks about how in the business world, there are three types of people. Type number one is the one who lets you know they're out to get your chips. They make no bones about it. Type number two is the person who pretends that, oh, yes, they're all in your favor, but they wind up grabbing your chips anyway. And type number three is the type who really, really means it, but because of their own incompetence, they wind up making a grab for your chips. So I, I guess my question is, do you have a way of screening the person on the other side to tell if they're if they're being sincere if they or if they really have some kind of ulterior motive to to how can i put it to 
could take you for what you've got. That's a terrible way to put it because that's not the way your paradigm of looking at negotiations. But how do you even screen people to see, is this person worth doing a deal with? What's your procedure? Yeah. And that that's part of that rapport process. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Let's let's take an example of what you're just talking about there and, and sort of flip it into um, a negotiation scenario. Some of the, the world-renowned toughest negotiators are Amazon and Walmart. Oh, and yeah. What, what Walmart will do is they'll take you down to Arkansas as a vendor. They put you in a room with no windows. They okay. don't want to build any rapport with you. They don't want to have a discussion about where you're eating dinner that night. They don't want to go out to dinner with you because they know that the moment that any type of connection or human bonding comes in, any type of relationship seeds are planted, that that starts to level the playing field. They don't want that. Right. The good news is if you're a vendor and you're going to Walmart or Amazon, you know that up front. So you just have to, again, prepare, and and that shouldn't surprise you when it happens. I think the most difficult people to negotiate, to negotiate with are those who are inconsistent and who are uh, not predictable. Uh, and, and that's the opposite of trust. Trust for me Unpack is- Unpack that for us. And yeah. you, what do you mean by inconsistent? Well, so the definition of trust for me is is the opposite of that. It's consistent and predictable. So, Paul, if you're consistent with me, how you represent yourself, how you engage with me, and, and that's pretty consistent time and time again, that's also predictable. And so I can prepare for your style, your approach, even if you're really challenging, even if I know there's some malintention in there, if you're consistently you know, mean to me, I, I'm okay with that because I, can prepare for it. <laughs> I, I have no malintent. I just like I know to challenge you. my guests because it, it brings out the, it brings out the best in them. And it makes I'm for, only, yeah, I'm only using you as an example, <laughs> an uh, well, and it, but I know you're not that. <laughs> and, and you're handling it extremely well. And that's one of the things I think makes for a good leader is that they handle, they don't view a challenge. See when I'm challenged, I don't view that as any kind of attack. I just view it as an opportunity to become better at what I do. And it's telling me I need to be more flexible in my communication because I'm not getting through to that person. That's right. That's right. And I always uh, think about it too, is if someone's being really charged up and energized with me or duplicitous, that's a calorie burn. They're burning calories on me. And as a salesperson, as a business owner, I say, if they're burning calories with me, there's something that they're interested in here too. Otherwise they would just, they would not respond to my email. They wouldn't call me back. They wouldn't take a meeting, but here I am. And they're going through this. And what I've come to in negotiations is that people believe that they can put the salesperson into the dark side and that they can leverage them, get a lot of revenue or price favorability, a lot of, a lot of value out of that salesperson by acting this way. The salesperson take a deep breath, know it's probably just somewhat of a charade. And if you go back to your yes, if fundamentals and just keep repeating this, hey, Paul, I will work with you if we can find a way to work together. You continue to condition cooperation. Uh, if, if they're there meeting with you, they're, they're going to fall in line at some point. And you're going you're gonna to resolve to both gaining out of it. You just dropped another gold nugget. Condition for cooperation. Yeah. It's a process of conditioning. It is. I love that. That's really cool. 
Uh, producer, yeah. make sure you put that in the liner notes. Condition for cooperation. I will. I'm going to write it down. Yeah. No, that's my producer. <laughs> no, my producer oh, to I'm going to put it down too when I when I when no, I. No, uh, my producer. <laughs> Andy, you've been a wonderful guest. Are, are there number one any parting thoughts you'd like to leave us with about what you teach, and number two, what gift or where we we'll drop it in our liner notes too for the podcast. But yeah. let's take the second question first. Where can to stay in the conversation with you, where can our viewers and listeners go? Yeah, you want to learn more about Yes If or all the training and coaching I, I do, andyolen.com, A-N-D-Y-O-L-E-N.com. And it's all out there. You can also contact me directly. And I love engaging with all my customers. So happy, happy to do that. And then in, in terms of sort of a takeaway here is throughout this conversation, here's, here's the beautiful part about Yes If. With those two words and a little bit of confidence, your listeners can go out there and try it. Try it today. Try it tonight. Try it at home. Try it with the kids and you know, do it in a safe environment. Maybe don't do it right away for the first time ever in your $10 billion negotiation that you're working on. Try it small, but try it. I think you'll find it works. You'll have fun doing it and then share it with someone else as well. I want us to be confident negotiators. So we're always running into the negotiation. Yes, if gives us a way to do that. I love it. Andy, thanks for being a guest, a great guest. Uh, do you have a book by any chance? I do, I do. It's called The Trilogy of Yes. And Show it's us. about it's about three C's that are sort of the opposite of what we talked about. It's, it's how to use connection, communication, and cooperation to inspire customers to say yes. Ooh, I like that. That I'm assuming you negotiate. No, Amazon doesn't negotiate. They tell you. No. I know. I have my own book. <laughs> yeah. And I get reports every month. And yeah. it's a pity. But hey, I cash the check. I, I take the money. I don't say no to it. Yeah. I never say no. <laughs> never say no to money. All right. Exactly. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on the Influencer's Edge. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909. 741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack in sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencers Edge Show.